You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping and two free gifts when you purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit with promo code GATORS. Head over to manscaped.com and purchase yours today. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC for this National Signing Day 2020 episode. And joining me for the National Signing Day episode is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. Will, it was a We'll get to it, of course, but uh, an eventful day for National Signing Day for the Gators. Not a lot of action, uh, as we knew coming into today, uh, but the Gators did, uh, you know, lost one, gained one, had most of the guys wrapped up uh, when, when Wednesday hit. Yeah, you know, National Signing Day these days is pretty anticlimactic with all the signings that happen in December. You pretty much, from a points total, it's really hard to move around just because there aren't a whole lot of top 100 guys left. Florida obviously had one on the board today, and he chose to go to Miami. So I'm sure we'll get into that, but uh, nah. not a whole lot of room. Not a whole lot of room to move around. So uh, you know, Florida missed today, but it's not the end of the world. No, no, ended up getting a, a nice surprise there with with uh, Prince Lee, and I'll say his last name later as good as I can. But uh, Prince Lee, uh, we will uh, we'll nail that down there. I was hoping Florida would send out a pronunciation guide, but they uh, they did not. So uh, that was. Uh, that was the hardest part of the day for me. It was like, okay, now we got to learn how to uh, how to say uh, Princely's last name. So, um, you know, we'll give our uh, we'll give our best shot there. So I'll, I'll say Uman Milan. That's how I'm going to say it. Will hopefully that's right. That sounds good, man. I'm just going to go with Princely, and we'll uh, we'll talk through it like that. But uh, once they send up the the guide, we'll certainly learn it. Absolutely, absolutely. I messaged him on Twitter, but uh, just to see, because I was like, that's the pet peeve of mine of mispronouncing names there, you know, because, you know, these are people, you know, but hey, Mick Hubert, have fun with this one. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Mick will figure it out for the first game of the year. And hey, if he's if he's playing the first game of the year, we're going to be happy with the signing. So. Hey, it, it, if uh, if Mick Hubert does, you know, he'll pronounce it right too. But if not, I'm sure there'll be uh, some clever nickname. Yeah, well, you know, I, hey, that just means football season started, man. So I, I'm getting a little bit punchy now. We're still like seven months away, and it, it, <laughs> it, it's just too long. All right, all right. So yeah, we'll get into all the headlines and happenings here on National Signing Day, 2020. Uh, for the Gators. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the episodes there. Go back and listen to the interview with Cornelius Ingram from this past week. Uh, really gave some insight there on on uh, Dan Mullen, the tight end position, uh, and if he'd be interested in the open tight end coach position role that the Gators have. As I say, you probably get somebody with experience in that role, but if a call was made, 
uh, Cornelius Ingram gives his thoughts and his interests on the last episode of Gators Breakdown. Uh, if you missed, um, if you missed that one, as I said, newsforjacks.com/slash Gators Breakdown. That's where you can check it out. Please rate and review the show if you don't mind on all the platforms out there and on social media. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators. Uh, breakdown. So, uh, also reminder: speaking engagement for the Fighting Gators Touchdown Club in Gainesville on April 23rd. I'll be in Gainesville on April 23rd with the Fighting Gators Touchdown Club. It'll be right after the spring game, so a lot will be discussed. The rest of the schedule this spring consists of Gators basketball writer Chris Harry on February 27th, March 26th will be Coach Savage and head coach Dan Mullen on May 28th. So, well, let's get into it. Rankings of where the Gators ended up on the 24-7 sports composite here. Uh, 25 commits for the Gators, and that gets them the eighth-ranked class on the 24-7 sports composite. Now, this is not counting the transfers, of course, that, that Florida was able to to pull in here, but you know, this is counting the still two commits that did not sign uh, today in Mark Britt and Leonard Manuel. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that situation later. Uh, but you know, Florida has one five-star, 17 four-stars, and six three-stars. And a two-star punter for a score of 274.36. Georgia has the top-ranked class at 313.3 points. Uh, so Georgia with the top-ranked class with a big splash on signing day to, to stay there. Alabama 2, Clemson 3, LSU 4, Ohio State 5. No, that was not the college football playoff rankings. I just rattled off there. Uh, but as you can see, the correlation. Um Texas A&M, six. Auburn, barely in front of Florida at seven. As I mentioned, the Gators are eighth and sixth in the SEC, followed by Texas at nine and Tennessee with a good finish to get into the top ten. Will, seven SEC teams in the top ten. That's life in the SEC. Yeah, well, that's why this is so important, right? I mean, if you're in the ACC, you can afford to dawdle around at 12, 13, 14, wait for FSU to sort of fall off the cliff a little bit and then take advantage of a conference that really isn't that difficult. But the SEC is a gauntlet every year. And, you know, that that's one of the things is that the recruiting isn't just the top end guys. It's a lot of the depth. And so I think we poo poo sometimes the guys in that, you know, two, 200, 300, 400 range, but those guys end up being valuable contributors to the team, whether it's special teams early or whether it's stepping up when maybe a guy who was a little bit higher recruited, especially now decides to transfer after he doesn't get the start right away. And then you need that depth. So, um, you know, certainly I think it's important that they sign 25 guys. I think it's important that they bring in the first five-star just for sort of the perception of the program. I know they brought in some other transfers who are five-star talent, but to bring in a guy who's going to be here for three years, um, you know, and if they can put him to the NFL in three years, then that gives you a selling point to the next five-star guy that comes through. And and so I think there are a lot of good things in this class, but obviously whenever you're not number one, there are things you can do better. So um, certainly I'm sure Mullen will be taking a look at that and and the rest of the staff as well. All right, let's take a look at the headlines and the happenings of why the Gators uh, pretty much stayed where they started the day. And we pretty much knew coming into the day that Xavier Henderson and Justin Shorter were going to be signing. Uh, Henderson would be the only one uh, signing early, uh, early in the morning. Well, you know, a commit that's out there uh, that would affect the rankings. As I said, Justin Shorter would not affect the rankings here being a transfer. So, uh, you know, the only couple realistic targets and throughout the day, and I'm going to start with the pleasant surprise and the good news uh, of the day. First, Princely, you men, here we go again, you men Midland, 
I don't know. I'm going to butcher that every time. But I'm just, from here on out, it is going to be princely. So uh, just uh, get used to it, Gator fans, to, until we uh, till we get something from Florida on that. So four-star, strong side defensive end, 6'4", 249 pounds out of Texas, the 241st-ranked player in the country. Uh, Gabe Brooks for 24-7 Sports offers this evaluation of him. Uh, taller, longer-frame defensive lineman with outstanding frame potential. Ample space to add good mass. Fully schemed, versatile, with experience inside and outside. Frame suggests he could outgrow his traditional strong side defensive end designation. Long arms allow for encouraging, disengaging potential. Active against the run. Flashes impressive lateral quickness relative to size and position. A good athlete with a verified 5.0740 and a terrific 4.37 shuttle. Pursues well relative to size and position. Height can at times create pad level and leverage issues. Gets off of quickness, consistency, uh, or get off quickness, consistency can improve. Will need added play strength to maximize power in the phone booth. Can expand pass rush repertoire. Versatile defensive lineman with great functionality in multiple fronts. Projects to a major, uh, a high major level with all conference potential and long term NFL draft ceiling. So, Will, the Gators are getting a player here that in his senior season finished with 90 tackles, 27 tackles for loss, and 10 sacks. Uh, quickly, of course, you know, the highlight videos out there. Of course, they're showing uh, the best the player offers. But the one I saw out there, when he gets to the when he gets to the offensive player, he's laying the wood. He's hitting them hard. He's throwing them around like a rag doll. Uh, Gators get a big, big target here. I was like I said, starting with the good news. Of course, there was some bad news uh, today too. But we'll start with the with the good and princely here. Uh, I think the Gators are getting a pretty good player, and they're third out of Texas. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're right when you say he's a big signing, specifically because of his size. I mean, you mentioned 6'4", 249. Um, I think one of the things we saw last year when when Grenard and Zaniga went out is that you had guys like Chris Bogle on the outside. And Bogle coming out of high school was 6'3 and a half, 212. And he looked small when he was out there, and, and so did Mohamed Diabate. And so, you know, having somebody like Human Milan come in at 6'4", 250 to start with, I think is – it's something that Florida's been missing recently, especially when you think about the transfers of Malik Langham and 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 you know some of the injuries that they've had up front as well, it, and the departure of Schuler and obviously Grenard and, and Zuniga. They need some size up front and they need it pretty quick. So I think this is a big signing. I mean, obviously, anytime you get a four-star guy, um, you're talking somebody's got a 20 or 25 percent shot of probably being drafted in the NFL, and that's kind of what you're seeing there. And and like you said, you've looked at some of his film. I haven't had really much of a chance to dive into it yet, but you know, you've looked at his film, seen some explosivity, seeing his ability to get to the quarterback. And you don't get 90 tackles and 10 sacks by being, uh, um, <laughs> you know, by being substandard. 90 tackles is a lot in a high school season, which means he's active. It means he's getting after the running back and ha- probably has a pretty good motor too when when a play gets past the line of scrimmage to be able to chase people down. Absolutely. So we'll go to the other headline of the day, Will, and the not-so-good news, the bad news of the day, and that was the recruitment of Avante Williams, and this was one of those signing day surprises. You you, you get one every signing day, and uh, Florida was the brunt of it here, Will. Pretty much a foregone conclusion that he inked with the Gators, but he had other thoughts and signs with the Hurricanes, the in-state rival Hurricanes, the 44th-ranked player in the 24-7 sports composite, second-ranked safety in the country, 
State of Florida's seventh-ranked recruit. So that's why this one hurts. You know, this was a blue-chip player at a, at a position we saw struggle uh, Florida struggle at this past season. So we, we were you know, we talked about Williams just a, a couple weeks ago or last week when we were you know previewing recruiting coming up and you know we're hoping to add Williams to a, a pretty good secondary class that I- included another safety in Rashad Torrance, Mordecai McDaniel, who, who may fit in at safety, Travis Johnson uh, as well to, to go along with Avery Helm, Jahiri Rogers, Ethan Pouncey, you know, already a really good secondary rated, you know, 24 seven sports best before uh, what today's Wednesday, of course, I think it was on Tuesday, 24 seven sports had already put out their position unit rankings for this recruiting class and already had Florida as the top ranked secondary. So, you know, it's not a huge miss in the, in the way of not getting a good secondary player, but when you look at it, this was a chance to add even better depth, so, some depth. And when you're looking at what Georgia does, when you're looking at what Alabama does, when you're looking at what LSU does, they're, they're able to stack talent uh, upon talent. So yeah, not a huge miss when you look at uh, just you know one player here, but in a way to, to, to just keep adding the elite depth, a top 50 player here, that's where this one hurts, Will. Yeah, well, I mean, it hurts for a couple of reasons. One is that I think we all thought he was coming. Yeah, I mean, every, everything it's, that we heard, it, twenty four twenty four seven had him at a hundred percent on their crystal balls. Everyone was predicting he was going to go to Florida, and then told he goes to Miami. The staff he was going to Florida, and then, you know, and then, <laughs> and then Miami ends up being the place that he goes, and so it's like, all right, well, crap, I already had him penciled in. So <laughs> that's, that's sort of the first part. The other part is is that you know, guys who are ranked forty fourth in the country spend three years of the program and go to the NFL. Like they, you know, I, I wrote about this a long time ago that the top 15 guys go like 85% of the time to the NFL and then 15 to 30, it drops to like 50 and then 30 to 45, it drops to like, you know, 35 to 40%. And then it's basically 20 to 25% all the way out for the rest of the top 300. So when you get an opportunity to sign somebody, it's not just about the five stars. It's about getting those guys sort of on the front end of that top 100 curve. They usually turn out to be difference makers. And if you think about the Florida defense, in the games that Florida struggled in last year, I mean, even when you think about Kentucky, but then when you think about LSU and you think about Georgia, there weren't a whole lot of turnovers and there weren't difference-making plays on defense. I mean, you think about some of those Urban Meyer defenses where you've got Reggie Nelson out there just blowing people up. you got Major Wright coming over and taking out people on the sideline of the game against Oklahoma. you got Ahmad Black making a ton of plays back there at safety. And so, you know, there are guys back at safety who are, who are good and, and – um, you know, are usually where they're supposed to be, but some of them are physically limited. Some of them are limited in terms of, you know, knowing the scheme or blowing coverages from time to time. And so, you know, somebody back there who can really be a difference maker would be a big deal for Florida to bring in. And and that's really, I think, where sort of, you know, you can develop guys who are limited athletically for an extended period of time, but at some point, you know, guys like Percy Harvin, guys like, you know, Brandon Spikes, those sorts of guys just come in and are difference makers right away. And Florida needs a couple of those guys. And, you know, I think Dexter and Wingo have an opportunity and Henderson have an opportunity to be that guy this year. And we'll see whether they're able to do it. But certainly Williams would have been that kind that type of player as well. Yeah. I mean, at first it's sitting there on Twitter, of course, and going through trying to watch the announcement there. And it kind of had started even before he had put the Miami hat on and, and threw up the U um, you know, it started like right before that. I started seeing no way Miami, all that stuff. That, that's why it stung. Like you said, it was uh, pretty much a foregone conclusion. It was going to be Florida uh, there. So uh, I know Miami fans got it and, uh, all their good feelings there, but Hey, look, that was uh, one player. 
you basically took from Florida. Uh, go look at the rankings, and uh, if you if you if you want to troll or make fun, uh, just look at the the, the final rankings there. Uh, that that says enough. Yeah, I'm not sure Miami or Florida State can really say very much. The people I don't really want to talk to today are the Georgia Bulldog fans who just continue to amass a ridiculous amount of talent. You know, you sit there and you go, ah, there's not that many guys left, and then Georgia signs them all, and you're like, oh, yeah, interesting. So, um, you know, those are the teams Florida has to worry about. I'm not real worried about Miami. When do we play them again, like two or three years from now? Yeah, so – you know, at that point, <laughs> at that point, we'll have three more recruiting classes that have been better than theirs. But, <laughs> you know, you play Georgia and you play LSU every year. You mentioned eighth overall, but sixth in the SEC. And, uh, you know, that, that's it's just a different animal. And, and Mullen's in the middle of it. And he's going to get to prove his medal because, <laughs> I mean, I, I think you can also think about it in tiers, right? It's not necessarily the fact that it's eighth overall, I think the fact that there are mm-hmm. definitive tiers in terms of where the team's set. And so if you look at the overall rankings, you've got, just from a point total, you've got Georgia at 313, Alabama at 310, Clemson at 309. That's sort of the first tier. Then the second tier, you've got LSU at 300, Ohio State at 295, and Texas A&M at 289. And then you go down to the next tier, and you've got Auburn at 274, Florida at 274, Texas at 270, and then you drop down one more tier, and you've got Tennessee, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Miami to some expect to some extent between 256 and 261. So, I mean, Florida's in the third tier of programs when it comes to recruiting. That's pretty good. But in the SEC, it's the third tier in the <laughs> SEC, and that's really where the problem comes in. It's just who they're competing against, who they have to play every week. Yeah, and that's another reason why it stings because you had a chance, you know, if you got Avante Williams and you would have got this princely commitment as well, you had a chance to jump into that second tier uh, there. So, you know, um, it, it will kind of go through the day of why Florida wasn't able to do that. No surprises here. So I don't want to sit here and, you know, if you want to label these misses, Florida missed a couple of weeks ago or months ago uh, and some of these players here. Jameer Gibbs sticks with his commitment to Georgia Tech. Uh, Demarcus Beckwith, it will look to be, you know, just as of a week ago, a 50-50 battle between Florida and Tennessee. Larry Scott, tight end coach, leaves Florida. Led many to believe Beckwith was going to choose Tennessee after that. So not really a huge surprise there, but that was one that was we were kind of looking out for uh, early in the day. Uh, Shad Clayton sticks with his commitment. Uh, to Colorado and Cedric Von Pran, who visited Florida this past weekend, uh, sticks with his commitment to Georgia there. So, of course, Will, the the, the big overall storyline message for this Florida Gator class, Jameer Gibbs going to Georgia Tech, Ashad Clayton going to Colorado. We rewind a little bit. Kevon Lee was a former running back commit for the Gators. He goes elsewhere. Demarcus Bowman, you spent so much time and trying to go get him, and you know he ends up going to Clemson. Go back to last cycle, and uh, uh, Sanders going to Alabama. So, yeah, uh, running back recruiting. Yes, you did get you got Lorenzo Lingard, tra- five star transfer uh, portal. Once that happened, I think Florida was okay. By okay, we pressed for Bowman, didn't get him. Let's press for Gibbs. If we get him, all right, it, it worked out uh, just great. Once they got Lingard, I think they were okay with pressing for Gibbs, not getting him, and that was it. They weren't going to waste a scholarship. They weren't going to go chase a, a running back. Still doesn't erase the fact that, hey, look, you've targeted a lot of running backs here in the last two cycles. You've had some in-state guys this past cycle, and you still weren't able to bring one in. Well, that's the big issue, right, is that you've got guys from DeLand and Lakeland and guys who are in traditional 
Florida recruiting areas who aren't necessarily choosing the Gators and are choosing programs. I mean, you know, you get a guy who goes to Miami. All right. Well, that's at least in state, but you get a guy who goes to Clemson and you go, Hey, you know, those are the guys you really need to make sure that you're, that you're pulling home. And, you know, they just haven't been able to do that thus far. And I know people get mad at me when I tell, when I say that Mullen's a good recruiter, but not an elite recruiter, but we have three years of evidence now that this is pretty much what we're going to get top end from the, from the current staff as it's constituted and, and Mullen is the head coach. So maybe and Will, b- some- before, and before you move on to that, you saying that does also not mean he's not an elite coach. I mean, those two things can be separate. Well, they're going to have to be because, yeah. Florida, because, Florida, <laughs> because Florida wants championships. And if we're still sitting here, you know, three years from now saying, well, now's the year we got to beat Georgia. Like, uh, you know, there's going to be a, a segment of the fan base that's madder at Mullen than they are at Mike White right now. And, you know, it, the reality is, is that, the, yes, they need to bring in in-state five-star guys who are sitting in your backyard. And the big problem at running back is going to be, so let's say Linger comes in plays one year is outstanding and leaves. Let's say Pierce plays well enough to think he can go into the draft after this year. Who's left on the back end? And you, one you guy have, maybe and maybe maybe one guy transfers this spring. Yeah. So I mean, you know, the the depth at running back hurts when you when you bring in a guy who only plays for a year. That's one of the challenges with playing the transfer portal. Now, obviously you upgrade your talent in the short term, but it also harms you down the road in some capacity. And you know, so you, you can see it a little bit with with guys like Grenard and Grimes and and Jefferson, where you bring those guys in and it sort of throws off your timing in terms of having having high quality depth. Um, you know, there's a guy there who's going to play and the recruits see that he's going to play. And then do they decide to come? And, you know, we, we talked about this with, with Muschamp where he, where he brings in Driscoll and, and Brissett the same year. And it really sort of set everything back from a quarterback perspective because people knew they were competing with those two. And then Brissett leaves and Driscoll doesn't work out. And all of a sudden you're left with Skylar Morenweg playing late in the year. So, you know, look, I, I think, um, Roster construction, especially in the days of the transfer portal now, is going to be a little bit different. I think Mullen has proven that he can use the transfer portal, but I think it's a little bit dangerous to rely on that consistently when your rivals aren't relying on it. I mean, really, <laughs> people are sort of picking the guys who are deciding to transfer out of Georgia on the transfer portal, not necessarily Georgia having to use the transfer portal to, to fill out their roster. And, and that's the danger, especially as you get to these full classes. So you got 25 guys coming in. And then you've got the transfers who are coming in as well. And at some point, you start filling up those counters. You're not going to be able to bring in Shorter, Lingard, and Cox, and Pouncey all in the same class next year because you're not likely not going to have those same number of counters next year as you do this year. And so they're not going to be able to bring in four transfers to replace these guys. So, you know, hey, I hope Shorter gets to play right away. I hope Lingard gets to play right away. We get to see Shorter, Lingard, and Cox all playing. But if they all play and they all play well, they're going to the NFL. And then you got to fill those holes. And that's sort of the danger with not bringing in the running back specifically in this case, where you say, Hey, we settled for not settled, but we got lingered and said, he's the guy we're going to go with. And we're okay. Not bringing in a recruit. Well, at some point that hole's going to pop up somewhere because you do need to bring in at least one guy at that position every year in order to sort of sustain the position throughout the program. Yeah, and you know, following Twitter just here a little bit, uh, Dervon Dexter just tweets not long ago, wait till Gator Nation finds out. Don't believe every report you see. So we'll see what that means. <laughs> well, uh, I got some ideas of what that may mean. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, I, I, I just, I'm just guessing here. 
uh, Zach Evans comes to mind with something like that, maybe because there's been so many reports about him <laughs> because he's just everywhere. It seems like every 15 minutes, uh, but we'll see. We'll see uh, what uh, uh, Dexter uh, means by that. Could be something about coaching moves with all that kind of stuff that we've heard the last couple of weeks. So who knows what that means, but uh, that's worth uh, keeping, keeping an eye on uh, there. So well, he, he could, he could start his own recruiting site, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> send out cryptic tweets and uh, yeah. you know, they, they they didn't they didn't do real well today but yeah <laughs> crystal balls weren't good no not really no it was not for florida anyway yeah well. well i mean hey look there's good to talk about there's plenty good to talk about we'll get into to more of this class uh there's, there's plenty good to discuss uh with the skaters class still a top 10 class uh it's it's, it's enough to compete uh, I still think that, but that means Mullen's got to go uh, coach his tail off like we know he can, and uh, you know we'll we'll see we'll see where where that ends up. But uh, yeah, go ahead. absolutely, and I, I think there is one thing. It, you know, here's the deal: a couple of years ago, I talked about how sort of early August was a deadline. I put August first, but you know whatever, somewhere around basically before the season starts is the deadline where you really want to look at it and say, hey, we're not going to get much better than this from the recruiting perspective. You need to get early guys in and in your class to sort of set where it's going to be. And if you look back, um, you know, here in August this past year, the SEC basically played out the way, especially at the top end, played out exactly the way it finished. So Alabama was one, Georgia was two, LSU was three, A&M was four, Auburn was five, and Florida was sixth in the SEC. And if you looked at the actual where Florida actually stood in the rankings, they were 10th. And now they end up eighth so you know basically by august 1st you know where the class is going to end up for the most part now things move a little bit because you know one one school will have 12 guys but five of them will be five stars and one one guy will have 20 guys signed and they'll all be four and three stars and the points will be a little bit off but at the end of the day you pretty much know by the time the season starts this year we're going to know where that 2021 class stands so there's not really a surprise when you get to early signing day or even national signing day. You know, the, 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 the reality is, is that if your school is recruiting at a high level during the, the spring and the early fall, then that's where they're going to end up here in, in February. All right. All right. So a little different kind of ad read here, my friend. Uh, one might make some people laugh. We'll see. As you, said, as you said, you had to you had to make a joke that uh, we're only concentrating on on, on on one region. Yeah, well, you know, one type of region here. We've been selling underwear for a while, and, uh, <laughs> and and now we're going to a different. Uh, take off your pair of underwear and 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 go with yeah. the sponsor. Well, that's right. Well, you know, we talk a lot of ball here uh, on Gators Breakdown. So, well, here's more ball talk. You know, Gators Breakdown listeners, take care of yours with the all new Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. Guys, Valentine's Day is coming up, so get ready with Manscaped, the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. 85% of women think bad grooming is a turnoff, and 80% think men should get Manscaped below the belt. Well, I'm excited to be one of the first ones to receive the new Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof body trimmer, and this has become my favorite electric trimmer. Stings awesome and comes with a ton of great features, ergonomic design with quality ceramic blades built with advanced skin-safe technology, which means no nicks and no snags guaranteed, a powerful motor with quiet stroke technology and premium lithium-ion battery for up to 90 minutes of battery life. When you get to purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit online at manscaped.com, you get the biggest bang for your buck. As a subscriber, you get 20% savings on your order instantly, 
a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean. And for a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So get 20% off plus free shipping for your perfect package 3.0 purchase when you create an account and use promo code GATERS at manscaped.com. That's promo code GATERS over at manscaped.com for 20% off the perfect package 3.0. And as you can see there, Will, they save balls. <laughs> Who's the 15% of women who don't like the... Uh... They said 85% like yeah. someone who uses this type of product. Who's the 15% who does it? I, I'm not sure I buy that number. Yeah. We'll have to do a Twitter poll or something. A Twitter poll. Ball talk. <laughs> Ball talk. Well, that was fun. <laughs> All right. Let's get in. More uh, more recruiting talk. Not uh, off, you know, off the field. No, off the field talk here. So, well, top 50, if we, I want break it down, we talked about tiers earlier. We talked about tiers of, you know, the class rankings themselves. We're also, you know, a tier of players here. And, you know, top 50, look at who the Gators brought in. Jervon Dexter there, the top uh, only top 50 player the Gators have. Top 100, you add Derek Wingo and Xavier Henderson, Jahiri Rogers. So four top 100 players for the Gators. And if you go to top 300, 13 top 300 players uh, for the Gators, and that's counting Mark Britt for now uh, as the commit. So uh, had two top 50 guys last year. Um, that was one more than this cycle, but that was with Chris Steele and Kyer Elam. That quickly changed to just one uh, from last year's class. Now, um, going back and looking at these classes as they are put out, you know, it's not counting transfers in or out and such. Uh, yes, it's made a huge difference, a huge positive difference for Florida, uh, but for the sake of today and limited time and trying to track transfers from every school here, you know, this is a broad approach. So, 10 top 300 in 2019 and also in 2018. 13 in this class, Will. So uh, thir- uh, you know, three more top 300 uh, guys in this class compared to the last two from old. Yeah, well, I mean, there's no doubt he's building the talent profile of the team. The, the, the question people always ask is, how is he building it in relation to the previous coaches who have been at Florida? And how is he building it in relation to the to the key rivals that Florida's going to have to play? And actually, when you look at where he is compared to sort of the last four coaches at Florida, he's way ahead of Jim McElwain when it comes to point totals, when it comes to top 300, when it comes to blue chips, all that sort of stuff. Well ahead of Jim McElwain, and so I think you know the the floor for Dan Mullen, not just because of his coaching ability, but just because of his recruiting ability as well, is a lot higher than what we saw in 2017 with McElwain. But if you want to compare him with Urban Meyer, it's it's really not all that close. So Meyer brought in 12 top 100 guys in his third year when he was recruiting, and a lot of those guys wound up leading to leading Florida to that 2008 national championship, sort of a reload after a lot of the guys left after the 2006 class. And, and then you look at Zook, he had six top 100. Muschamp had six top 100. Um, when you look at the total percentage of top 300, Zook had 65%, Meyer had 66%, Muschamp was at 50%, McElwain at 40 
45 and Mullen at 52. So Mullen's sort of right in there in line with Muschamp in terms of the number of top 300 guys he's bringing in. And, and certainly nobody complained about those Muschamp defenses. Mullen's really kind of put an emphasis on defense the last couple of years. And so if he can get that kind of performance out of the defense, then I think we have some confidence that he'll be able to get the offense humming as well, even with maybe the guys that you wouldn't necessarily say, hey, that's a, that's a you know, it's not loaded with five-star guys, but he's still going to be able to get them to score points. Uh, well, it's probably a good time to bring up one point in your article here um, that your article you just recently released. It was more looking ahead to today, but of course, you know, as we said, coming into today, there wasn't a lot of movement and shaking uh, for the Gators. So we kind of we kind of knew, and a lot of what you put in the article still holds weight, no matter really what happened on Wednesday. Really, a good point to bring in, I think the third year uh, for these coaches. You just kind of mentioned top 300 being a, a difference in some of the recent uh, Gator coaches where we could track recruiting rankings and all that stuff. But uh, what'd you find in, you know, Mullen's class, as I said, there's still two uh, out there with Litter Manuel, Mark Britt. We'll see what happens to those guys. Uh, if those guys stay in the class, uh, Florida's class will stay right where it's at. And we'll see what happens uh, with Zach Evans uh, later on. If Florida's going to chase that um, right now, but, Looking and what you put out there, what did you find in the uh, comparison of the three-year mark for these coaches? Yeah, I mean, I think what I found is – Well, basically that, third class. Yeah, I mean, I think what I found is that when you look at it, he's a lot – Mullen is a lot more Will Muschamp than he is Jim McElwain, but he is not Urban Meyer or Ron Zook. And if you look at blue chips, he actually compares pretty favorably. So Zook had 57% blue chips. Meyer had 62 Muschamp had 73, McElwain had 50, and Mullen had 72. So if you look at just blue chip percentage, you'd say, oh, Mullen's doing a great job. He's better than Urban Meyer, better than Ron Zook. But you do have to take into account that back in the early 2000s and, and really even into the mid-2000s, a lot of times guys who were ranked in the 250 to 260 range, they were three stars, so you wouldn't necessarily consider them blue chip guys. And like I mentioned, Meyer had 12 top 100 guys on the team so and, and only 13 blue chip recruits. So some of those guys in the lower in the lower 200s were were uh, were not considered blue chip recruits at least not by by 24 7 um so again i think you look at the top 300 and he compares mullen compares much more favorably to Muschamp in that case and, and i think that's what we've seen the last couple of years right where there are just holes that he's that he's had to try to fill last year was a year where they signed a whole lot of offensive linemen and and not just offensive linemen, but blue chip offensive linemen. So they signed four blue chip offensive linemen last year, brought in two blue chip offensive linemen this year. And then we looked and, and over the past four years, Florida had only brought in three defensive tackles. And this year they bring in four blue chip defensive tackles. And so really sort of shoring up that area. Same thing with cornerback. They bring in four corners. Obviously they wanted two, two blue chip safeties, but were only able to get one of them, three wide receivers. And then the places where they didn't really f weren't able to focus this year or weren't able to be successful this year were running back and tight end. So some of the skill positions on offense are areas where I think, uh, you know, the positions that are really important for the Dan Mullen offense are places where they're going to have to focus next year. So I think that's where you sort of look at 2021 is say, okay, running backs going to have to be a priority. Tight ends going to have to be a priority. Quarterbacks always a priority, but they've gone heavy on a few different areas and sort of maybe gotten to the point where you get four guys coming in who are blue chip. If one or two of them works out, you're going to have a successful defensive line um, adding from what they've gotten the last couple of years. 
Uh, well, one more focus I wanted to put on, and we basically we we uh, we we tapped on it earlier. Uh, recruiting in the state of Florida. Uh, so Gators ranked eighth in the country. Miami comes in at 13 with 22 commits, and FSU comes in at 21st, ranked 21st with 25 commits. Gators get the top player in the state of Florida with Jervon Dexter, but didn't get another one until Derek Wingo comes in at 13th as the as the 13th ranked player in the state of Florida. Xavier Henderson, the 14th ranked player in the state, and then Dequavia uh, Frazier's at 20 the 23rd ranked player and Isaiah Walker at 24, Ethan Pouncey at 26. So the Gators get six of the top 26 players in the state of Florida signed 16 total out of the home state. Well, I think the easiest step for Florida to take, to get back into the elite status we're talking about of recruiting is simply get more home state talent. You know, had a chance with Devonte Williams, couldn't close the deal. We all know the Demarcus Bowman story. Um, so, Look at it overall, you know, I'm going to count the IMG players in this because there's really not that many, but, you know, you had Clemson come in and grab the fourth, fifth, and ninth ranked players in the state. Georgia comes in and gets the uh, players ranked third, tenth, and twelfth. Alabama gets Tim Smith as the 11th ranked player in state. LSU gets IMG's uh, Elias Ricks, who's from California, uh, but the second ranked player in the state to go along with the 17th ranked player in the state of Marcus Dumerville, a uh, big Gators target there. So, look. You're not going to get all these kids, but when pinpointing areas where Florida needs to improve, look no further than in-state to take that next jump in recruiting. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit, obviously. Yeah. Buttoning up a radius around Florida, and that and that's maybe the, the disappointing part about Williams. I mean, it's from DeLand, right? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're like, what, an hour away, maybe? And and those are the guys you really need to get to go to Florida. If he was up in the Panhandle, if he was down in Dade County, something like that, you're like, all right, well, you know, those you might miss that kind of guy every once in a while. But to to miss the guy who's right there within your radius is obviously disappointing. But you know, again, I, I think they did get the number one guy in the state, and so I think you do need to be happy about that. You need to, and Dexter looks like he's going to be a difference maker on the defensive line. So you know, I mentioned there are four blue chip defensive tackles, but one of those guys is a guy who's going to come in and make a huge difference very early on and 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 in a place where Florida really needs somebody to be able to come in and make a huge difference early on and and uh so you know I, again I, I think this is one of the things is that until you're number one in recruiting you're always going to have something to nitpick on mm-hmm. and you know at the end of the day that this is probably what we should expect from Mullen is a, a handful of elite guys in that you know top 50 top 100 space and then filling it out with guys in the 100 to 300 range and you know going to have to develop those guys into four year four year guys who start their junior and senior years and and are able to compete with teams that have you know true freshmen playing who have a lot who maybe have a little bit more talent but are um but are less experienced uh well uh i'm following hopefully not getting trolled here um looks like princely may have joined our youtube chat here live on youtube so What's up? <laughs> hey, so, man. Yeah. Welcome to Gator Nation, by the way. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So um, I do think it's interesting. We, we should go back and it was something that I had in my article, but I went and sort of mapped out the starters that I thought Florida would have this year. And granted, I'm putting some guys in there who maybe you know, who maybe aren't going to necessarily play, but I'm, I'm sort of projecting. So, you, you know, Damian Pierce is going to be at running back. Um, you know, is, is McDowell going to be the center? I don't necessarily know. 
Um, you know, is, is Delance going to stay at it right tackle, or are we going to see somebody like Tarkin come in and play? But then you got Grimes, Copeland, and Tony at wide receiver, and Pitts at, at tight end. And you do the same thing with the defense. You know, is Tyron Hopper going to come in at linebacker and, and start now that David Reese is, is leaving? Is Diabate going to be on the end? or sort of at the buck where you've got Cox defensive end. You don't really know what they'll do there. But anyway, if you look at the overall defense or the overall talent of the team, it's at the national rank is 377 versus 431 in 2017 for McIlwain. And the star rankings 3.7 versus 3.59 for McIlwain. So the talent level overall has increased significantly from 2017 to now. And particularly when you look at the defense, the defense is going to be around 173 will be its national rank and 3.91 from a star rating perspective, whereas it was 303 back in 2017 and 3.73 for star ranking. So the total level of talent on the Florida defense right now in 2020 is going to be significantly more than it was in 2017. Obviously, that 2017 defense didn't play very well. But one of the things that I wrote about this a couple of years ago is that on the defensive line is usually where that elite level talent really makes a difference. And, you know, guys like Cox, guys like Dexter, guys like Diabate, guys like, uh, you know, guys like Carter, those are high level guys who, who contribute to that ranking. And, and uh, you know, I, I think what we're going to see is that the Florida defense is going to be a little bit more versatile coming forward in the next couple of years, just because of the guys they've been able to bring in up front. And that's what we heard about the you know the scouting report with Prinsley here, and and, and I was going to go to where you know where Florida's really where where Florida the next step in the in the podcast where I was going to go is where Florida really excelled in this class and, and where they brought in and defensive line and they had brought in six. You start with Jervon Dexter, who's the twelfth ranked player overall, and then Johnny Brown at two twenty six, Antoine Powell one eighty two, Prinsley two forty one, Lamar Goods three fifty eight, Jalen Lee three sixty. I mean. You're building depth there just with this class alone. You know, you're not going to count on a lot of these guys to, to come in here and make impressions uh, year one, especially with some of the guys you just mentioned and uh, there. But, and some of the guys who just came back as well, you know, Campbell's coming uh, back, Slate, and Campbell was, you know, huge uh, in, in some of these recent visits uh, lately. You'll get back Elijah Conliffe. So Florida's got some starting depth that they'll be able to work these guys in and, and, and you know, in with springtime and fall camp and fall practice, you know, a lot of these guys will get their four games uh, as well in fall camp. And that's the luxury Florida has with the guys they already have and the guys are bringing in. Absolutely. And I mean, and if you look at defense in general, um, that's where the talent usually makes the biggest difference. So you'll see teams like UCF and Tulsa and Louisiana Tech and and teams like that tend to pop up every once in a while, or actually pretty consistently on the offensive side of the ball. Now, recently, you know, with the success of Tua and Burrow and that sort of stuff, LSU and Ohio State and Alabama have been up there too on the offensive side of the ball. But traditionally, what's happened is the defenses have been dominated by the traditional programs that bring in blue chip guys. So 2019, the best defenses were Ohio State. Georgia, Clemson, Pittsburgh, and Notre Dame. In 2018, it was Mississippi State, Clemson, Miami, Michigan, and Michigan State. In 17, it was Alabama, Clemson, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan. So, you know, with the exception of Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Pitt, those are teams that are all consistently recruiting in the top 10 and have a lot of talent on the defensive line. And, you know, Mississippi State had Jeffrey Simmons, who, and, and sort of that feared you know, that feared defensive line in 2018, that if, uh, if more had been a little bit better offensive coach, that team might've been really good in 2018. If Mullen hadn't, uh, hadn't decided to come to Florida, thankfully. So um, I, I think when you look at it, the place where you can, I don't want to say get away, but the place where, 
where non-blue chip guys turn into stars is usually on the offensive side of the ball. It's unusual or it's less usual to have, you know, three-star and two-star guys turn into like monster pass rushers. I mean, they could be good contributors and major contributors, but they don't tend to be difference makers. Whereas on the offensive side of the ball, you know, Baker Mayfield will be a three-star quarterback. You got, you know, Lamar Jackson was a three-star quarterback. So there is the ability to sort of outperform your star ranking on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive line and the linebacker positions, it tends to be, you know, the guys with the most talent in high school are the guys who project to be the best players in college, and that's usually what happens. Um, big shout-out here, too. It was going on in the chat, but definitely was going to bring it up here when talking about that. And I remember about a year ago, Will, had to talk to some people off the ledge with the David Turner hire, and what a, it's been a home run hire uh, since he stepped uh, pro football focus, named him defensive line – not pro football focus um, – uh, football scoop football scoop named him defensive line coach of the year uh, he brought in was instrumental in bringing in a lot of these defensive line recruits instrumental in hanging on to jervon dexter uh when george is you know nipping at florida's heels trying to get him to flip i mean david turner i tell you uh great great find and hire from from dan mullen yeah, well, I mean, obviously he's done a great job from a recruiting perspective, especially when you look this year. But, but Florida was really good against the run this year too. So, mm-hmm. especially with all of the with all of the injuries that uh, with all the injuries that Florida had on the defensive line with with Grenard and and Zuniga going out for extended periods of time to then be the thirteenth best team against the run, you know that that I think says something about his ability to coach and his ability to make sure that the defensive line was able to make adjustments. And we saw that throughout the year. I mean, I think we saw Zach Carter get a lot better from game one to game 13. I think we saw, um, you know, Diabate started to step up later in the year. You saw a little bit more playing time for Bogle. So they were working in some of those younger guys, but even guys like TJ Slayton started to really improved towards the end of the year game against South Carolina. He was getting turned sideways and knocked out of the, knocked out of the holes a few times. And you didn't really see that later on in the year. And they were able to sort of, um, to, to sort of stabilize things after they struggled against the run against LSU and South Carolina. And from then on, you know, I I think our biggest concern going into that Georgia game was DeAndre Swift was going to go, was going to go nuts. (laughs) and They were able to hold him down pretty well and just weren't able to really stop from and get George off the field. But um, yeah, I think from a defensive line perspective, not just recruiting and recruiting is a big part of it, obviously. And he's done a great job there, but, but you could see improvement on the defensive line throughout the year last year. And that's really all you can ask for, right? As you come in, you see, all right, these guys are struggling and are they getting better by the end of the year? And and we saw that with multiple guys on the Florida defensive defensive line last year. Well, other places I think Florida really hit this class quarterback and Anthony Richardson, uh, the improvement he made from his junior to senior season before he got hurt, uh, the improvement in his numbers were apparent. Uh, and, and what you could see, he was there. I uh, come to here in Jacksonville to work with Denny Thompson. I uh, improved his mechanics, and that, I think that really translated to what you saw on his uh, in his senior season. And you know, early early returns from those little short practice sessions they had in bowl prep uh, were really good for Richardson as well. So you know, and, and a quarterback, big bodied quarterback, athletic quarterback uh, that seems to be tailor made for, for for Dan Mullen's offense. So look, and I'm a big fan. I'll, I'll say it till I'm, I'm blue in the face. You go get a quarterback. Every class, uh, just because you never know what happens, and it looks like Florida not only just you know filled a need here, but got one hopefully uh, that looks to to be the part and taking that next step at the quarterback position uh, for the Gators here. And offensive line too. Will I'll, I'll stay on the offensive side of the ball. 
we know the struggles there recently uh, in this past year. You needed some elite guys, too, and it's really headline Isaiah Walker, the 156th-ranked player in the country, Joshua Braun flipping him from Georgia, the 269th-ranked player, to go along with Gerald Mincy and Richard Leonard, four guys here to help build depth, You know, and, and some of these guys will be on campus early as well. Yeah, so I think when you go back to Richardson first, I mean, you mentioned his improvement. And anybody who's read me for any length of time knows that I really look at completion percentage when it comes to high school quarterbacks because that tends to transfer the most. And really the idea that that was sort of the harbinger for Burrow having the season that he had was that in high school his completion percentage was really good. And then last year it wasn't very good at all. And so in 2019, you were like, well, if he improves that, then he'll improve quite a bit. And I didn't know he was going to have 78% or whatever <laughs> of a completion percentage. But but the track record was there for him to be there because I think he was like 73 or 74 all three years he was in high school. And Richardson last year was at 64.5%, but he was 48.6 and 51.5 the two years before that. So clearly he has improved and, and made a made a significant bump. And that's in the same number of throws, really. So even though he was injured, only played in six games, 124 attempts. At least that's what Max Preps has him listed at. And then obviously he's an explosive runner, too. Um, last year he didn't carry the ball very much, but the year before, 95 carries for 924 yards. So averaging almost 10 yards a rush. Um, you know, So he's an explosive player there, and it looks like he's got a live arm as well. So certainly um, – you know, not going to be ready to step in day one, but Florida doesn't need him to be ready to step in day mm-hmm. one. And that, that I think is sort of goes to what you were saying about having guys in who are, uh, you know, having a quarterback each class and, and having them, um, you know, having them understand it's going to take a couple of years to learn the offense and don't transfer. We're going to have a spot for you your junior and senior year, and you're going to be a big part of the program. And, and then, yeah, obviously offensive line was an area of struggle and any, and they, they signed a whole boatload of offensive linemen last year. And I suspect a lot of those guys are going to push for playing time or at least raise the overall competition in the room. And the same thing with Walker and, and Braun, right? I mean, Braun's a, a big guy and, and looks like he'll be able to contribute pretty soon, but then Walker, obviously the jewel of the class in terms of um, offensive linemen. And, and really, again, we, th- we talked about this a couple of years ago with, with Banks and Blake, they were recruited as talent tackles and then moved inside to guard that that's one thing you might see with some of these younger guys is that guys who are tackles who project as tackles long term can if they're able to move inside and play more uh, play guard then you're going to get more physicality more athletic ability at the guard position because you're taking a guy who's really designed to be a tackle but able to take advantage of his athleticism and play on the inside and then going back and just detailing it even more as we discussed it earlier um, and when we were discussing Devontae Williams, 24-7 labeled this you know, Florida secondary class best in the country. Seven commits head by, headlined by Jahiri Rogers, who's the 86th-ranked player in the country. Ethan Pouncey at 174, Rashad Torrance 331, Avery Helm 340, Mordecai McDaniel 356. Finley Graham, we'll see where he fits, uh, but you know, for the for this exercise, we'll keep him there. 470th, and Travis Johnson around uh, out there, who should be – much higher. I forgot to put his ranking there, but it was, I think, 476 maybe, if I'm thinking off the top of my head. Uh, right. So, you know, that's one of the more undervalued players. Uh, you'll see that in a lot of nationally too of and locally. If you start to ask for underrated, uh, undervalued player that is in this whole class, not just a secondary, Chavez Johnson's name, uh, one that seems to pop up there. So, well, again, um, a position, uh, especially the, the secondary, the safety spot where we saw struggles this past off season. They rectify that 
is, you know, we'll say that all plays out on the field, but, you know, seven commits there to really uh, shore up the defensive backfield. Well, so there are two things. One is that I think defensive back is an area where you can bring in somebody and have them play pretty young. But we've seen that all going all the way back to Joe Hayden and Janoris Jenkins. But but even C.J. Henderson played his freshman year. Marco Wilson played his freshman year. And and then you had Kyrie Elam play last year. And, you know, I sort of mentioned that Florida doesn't have or hasn't had a difference maker on defense. Um and Grenard was that a little bit last year, but you know Elam looks like he might be one of those guys who could really be a difference maker on the defensive side of the ball. But I don't, you know, we don't want to forget the fact that you know Jadon Hill got some time last year and Chester Kimbrough got some time last year, and and those guys are going to be there with experience to sort of help f- to allow these guys to come in and fill holes rather than necessarily be having to come in and be counted on to be, you know, like the starting left corner or something like that. I think with Marco Wilson coming back with Sean Davis coming back, you've got guys to fill those spots and guys who, who know what they're supposed to do. And then you're going to be able to add these guys in there to spell them or to be able to take advantage if there's an injury um, to have that kind of depth that you need. But yeah, obviously they signed an awful lot of blue chip cornerbacks and not everybody's going to get to play corner. So somebody may end up having to move to star or move to safety. But I look forward to seeing what that depth chart is going to look like because they have obviously emphasized the defensive back position the last couple of years. And 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 so certainly I think Florida is going to be good in that area for the next three or four years to come. Yeah, I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing, but you know, it's ne- definitely not our job to figure this out, and we'll see it. But you know, some of these players, we, the, like as you just kind of pointed out, whether they're labeled a cornerback or a safety or a nickelback, they are versatile. They can line up in multiple spots. We see that with uh, Amari Bernie a lot. We saw, uh, you know, we may see that uh, along the defensive line with Princely, and you know, the the evaluation we read of him and Gervin Dexter or Jervon Dexter may be a guy that can slide in and out. Derek Wingo maybe can. Play, play the edge and play uh, in the middle of the linebacker spot. A lot of versatility uh, there. And what that allows you to do is keep the guys on the field, you know, and, and not have a mismatch. They can go out there and they can cover a running back. They can cover uh, a slot receiver if they have to, or cover a tight end. Uh, or if it's your safety, you're versatile enough to cover somebody, but also uh, strong enough, physical enough to stay in the box. And that's one reason I do like a lot of these versatile pieces that they're bringing in uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's been something that Grantham and Mullen have talked about pretty much ever since they came to Gainesville was having guys who are versatile. And to be quite honest, having guys who are versatile and can move around is one way, excuse me, that you're able to make up for a lack of recruiting depth, right? I mean, if you've got somebody like um, like Amari Bernie who can play safety, who can play linebacker, and who in a pinch can play like buck if you needed him to well you know that gives you the a lot of ability to move somebody around and if you have an injury somewhere you can move him someplace else um same thing marco wilson has a lot of experience at the star you know maybe he starts at corner to start the year but if but if they're struggling at star he can shift inside you bring in one of these freshmen to play on the outside doesn't necessarily need a whole lot of uh a whole lot of experience to play man-to-man coverage on the outside so yeah i mean i think the the versatility we've even seen it up front i mean you saw it a lot last year especially in pass rush situations with Zach Carter moving to the inside where you had Grenard and Zanig on the outside and Carter on the inside. And you really had multiple pass rushers then up front to be able to, to, to drive towards the quarterback. And with a guy like Dexter, maybe you won't need to do that if he can really, if he really proves to be as good as his uh, national ranking says, but um, having that kind of versatility all over the field is a way to, Obviously, then the defense doesn't know where the rushers are coming from. They don't know, is there going to be a safety blitz? Is it going to be a corner blitz? You know, is a linebacker coming? But 
at the end of the day, you still want a guy out there who can do everything well, rather than a guy who just mm. the, that a guy who's versatile in a way where he's good in a lot of different places. And and that's where you get excited about guys like Dexter and Wingo and Rogers. Those guys, Wingo in particular, somebody at linebacker who Florida, to be quite honest, has had to paper over some of the deficiencies that they've had in pass coverage at the linebacker position and with guys like Wingo Hopper from last year and, and Bernie sort of filling into that role. I don't think we're going to see that very much anymore. I think th- those guys are going to be able to hold their own in coverage. A big important part for this signing class will, and of course this come out uh, a few weeks ago, but all the early enrollees uh, that's going to be t- taking part here. And we already knew about these, but just to go over one more time for, for this signing class, um, you go quarterback Anthony Richardson there. Always important, I think, to get your quarterback to be an early enrollee around the program, learn the offense, uh, get uh, adjusted to um, – you know, it's a whole lot different uh, being a college quarterback than a high school quarterback. A lot uh, is thrown on your shoulders here. So a lot for Anthony Richardson to, to learn. So I always like seeing the quarterback here as an early enrollee, but also offensive linemen because those are the guys who, to me, have to make the most physical transformation of any position group uh, on the field. So getting Joshua Braun and Isaiah Walker, your two uh, stalwarts along this offensive line and this recruiting class uh, at that position, uh, Richard Leonard comes in uh, as well. Getting three of your, of your four offensive linemen in here as early enrollees, getting them in the weight room, uh, all these mat drills that we see that just start, you know, started today. Dan Mullen was uh, doing mat drills with, with, with these players. Um, important, I, I really think, for getting those guys in here early. Running back Lorenzo Lingard as well, Jordan Pouncey, uh, Lamar Goods, Antoine Powell, Rashad Torrance, Jahiri Rogers, Ethan Pouncey, and punter Jeremy Crawshaw uh, as well uh, round out the early enrollees. But, well, I, just looking at it and the guys who are on this list, I really just pinpoint the offensive guys because – uh, are the ones that are enrolled because um, they're positions of need that really have that are really beneficial uh, to get that early experience. Absolutely. And I think in some respects, it's actually even more important because of some of the attrition that Florida's had at, at various positions over the last couple of recruiting classes. And you you always sort of expect that with the transition class that there will be guys who leave and guys who don't work out and, and things like that. But, you know, I mean, you've got the the second David Reese who's coming off an Achilles injury. You got Noah Banks, John Huggins, Chris Blake, and Randy Russell, as well as Justin Watkins and Malik Langham from that 2018 class who are no longer with the team and aren't contributing in, in 2020. And then you go to 2019, you got Chris Steele, obviously, but then RJ Henderson to one black, D.A.V. Hammond, Jalen Jones, and then Wardrick Wilson, who hopefully will be be with the team soon. But again, that's a that's a fair amount of guys who from those two classes who aren't going to be able to contribute. So getting all these guys in early, getting them experience, I think, if for no other reason to be able to build depth becomes mm-hmm. very, very important. But even beyond that, there may Especially be an offensive line for me. Absolutely. But you know, th- there's going to be some starting opportunities there. I, yeah. I don't think you can look at the film of that offensive line last year and say any of those jobs are secure. <laughs> I think, I think you look at it and say, you're going to have to earn your job this year. Just like you said that about Frank's after 2017 and, and, um, you know, that, I think that's the way it's going to be. I, I don't think you can look and say, oh, we're penciling in this guy at left tackle or right guard or anything like that. I think there was improvement throughout the year. I think you look at a guy like Ethan White and say, hey, he really he really came on towards the end of the year. But at the same time, if if Braun or, or Walker shows to be much better than those guys who are out there, I think they're going to play because, you know, you're talking about an offensive line that ranked, you know, 
hundredth or worse in just about every major major analytical category, especially when you're talking against the runs. There's plenty of room for improvement there. And if the young guys prove that they have the ability to contribute, they're going to get the opportunity. All right. So final thoughts on 2020 and get some of your thoughts out there as well. Uh, might not be done here in the 2020 class. You've mentioned many times uh, Britt Manuel awaiting test scores. We'll see what happens there. Running back Zach Evans supposed to be visiting in March. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, the report also come out today. ESPN say he may make a decision tomorrow on Thursday. As I said, who knows uh, where that storyline goes, but uh, worth keeping an eye on, worth watching the next few weeks. So these guys, Brits deciding February 20th between Florida and Ole Miss. If he gets the test scores, he'll be a Gator. Uh, Manuel, we'll have to wait till April uh, and get his scores there. So I uh, asked you Gators Breakdown listeners out there to give us some of your thoughts uh, on uh, what you thought on this National Signing Day for 2020. And uh, at C3, it um, says uh, it was a really good class. Uh, it wasn't elite. There's a difference, and it's worth exploring that difference and what it means moving forward. Uh, Georgia Gators says, I'm very happy with this class. I feel Mullen isn't playing catch-up as much as he did last cycle. Uh, Princely commit gave some sunshine on an otherwise cloudy national signing day. Uh, Scott Sweat 1010 says, if Henderson and Shorter had waited to announce today, optics would have been better, but a really good class in top five to six when transfers are factored in. Avante hurts, but still great DB class, elite defensive line class. Turner was a great hire. We are sixth in the SEC, but second in the East beat Georgia. So kind of to summarize a few of those right there, Will, um, I do like that. And I had to say this early signing period as well because there wasn't a lot of action that day because a lot of the commitments Florida had stuck and not a lot of commitments that day uh, to, to go to the Gators. But, yeah, I say Xavier Henderson didn't announce just a few weeks ago at the – uh, all-star game and had waited till today. Of course, you know, optics matter. If Florida had come into this day ranked 15th and grabbed four or five guys and shot up to number seven, a lot of Gator fans would be jumping for joy. But as we said earlier, you know, it was the thought of having Avante Williams pretty much wrapped up. Then he goes to Miami. Uh, but we did get this a uh, nice surprise in, in Princely here. But look, there's ways to look. There's two ways to look at it. Um, Mullen's good. They are doing a really good job at getting guys committed and those guys staying committed. You didn't see a lot of decommitments in this class. We said that early signing period and it happened, you know, all the way to national signing day as well uh, here in February was if you committed to the Gators, once you say what summer football around football season started, if you were committed to the Gators, you stay committed. Yeah. I mean, that, Look, I mean, the recruiting has gotten better each of the three years that Mullen's been in charge. It is light years ahead of where it was under McElwain. Um, it seems to be more balanced than it was under Muschamp, and Mullen seems to be a better coach than either one of them. So um, from the standpoint of the direction of the program and, and all that sort of stuff, I, I obviously think that, that Florida is in a good place. Could they be better? Absolutely. Could could can we look at something and say, hey, Mullen's a better coach on the field than Kirby and Orgeron and and Malzahn and 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 all those guys? Sure, we can say that. But at the end of the day, this is a big part of winning in college football. And so it's a big, you know, people who only want to watch the games are going to get annoyed and people who only want to count stars are going to get annoyed because there's a little bit of truth on either side, which is part of what makes it fun to talk about. But um yeah, obviously we'd love to have three more five stars on the roster, but 
these guys are going to represent Florida well. I think they're going to be a part of a lot of wins at Florida and hopefully going to be part of a couple of SEC championships. They'll get the opportunity. I mean, you know, the reality is, is that there are going to be a couple of moments every year where Florida is going to have an opportunity to take out somebody like Georgia and, and get to that championship game or take out LSU when they have an opportunity. And, you know, Maybe it's a guy like Dexter. Maybe it's a guy like Avery Helm, who's down 340, who's going to make a play. Maybe it's a guy like, um, you know, Fenley Graham, who, who gets an interception, or Jonathan Odom at tight end, who's ranked 703. But at the end of the day, the staff some, saw something in him. And if he turns out to be a guy who ends up being a second or third round NFL draft pick, then, you know, this class looks a lot different. And, and I think that's sort of maybe where, um, where there's truth on both sides to this whole argument. But obviously, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want to lose to anybody in the SEC. So when you end up sixth, you're like, all right, there's stuff we can do better. Funny, Will, you 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 kind of go along your same lines here. The Athletic with a really nice article going back and looking at the 2006 signing class, one we kind of panned under Jim McElwain. You mean? Yeah. What did I say? You said 2006. Oh, okay. 2016. This class is pretty good there, Dave. Yeah, 2016, 2016. Well, yeah, 2006 was, but according to the Athletic, the 2016 class was as well. They had them third. They re-ranked that class as third overall. Uh, so, you know, P. Ryan, some of the receivers there that Florida just had, uh, the Zuniga in that class as well, I think. Um, so, it, you know, slam Jim McElwain, rightly so. Uh, but, uh, when there, I guess when there is some credit to be given, we can give it to him. Well, I mean, again, I, I think, I know, but there's a, there's a reason he was fired. We knew those that he wasn't coaching that talent up to their level. Yeah. Well, and, and I think you, again, it's the same thing. I, I think the guys that they've signed in 2020, I think the guys they signed in 2019, I think the guys that signed in 2018 are all going to be major contributors to big wins for Florida. I don't, I don't think that's in question. I think these guys, you know, when we say top eight, there's room to improve. Well, I mean, the reason there's room to improve is that you've gone 10 and three and 11 and two, you haven't gone 15 and zero. and 15 and zero is the goal at Florida these days, making the playoffs needs to be the goal. That's sort of the next step for Mullen. In order to do it, he's going to have to take out some of these big guys. So those big guys are getting stronger. Florida's getting stronger too. You can only put 22 guys on the field. And maybe that's one of the saving graces is that, you know, Georgia's brought in 32 five stars or something over the last four years, and not all of them are going to be on the field. So, uh, you know, Florida's going to have a shot. I mean, these, these are all very, very good players, and Mullen has proven to be a really good coach. And that's one of the things I think people get upset about the staff and maybe its inability to close when it comes to recruiting. But if they're making the guys that much better on the field, obviously that's something you have to consider. All right, a few more thoughts here from uh, the listeners here. Uh, Tomaso63 says, it's weak. It's going to be tough to beat Georgia after today's results. Taylor Chase says, very good class. Filled all of our uh, filled all of our needs except running back, but missing on Avante Williams, Tim Smith, Bowman, et cetera, keeps it from elite category, as we kind of see. You know, those were in-state guys as well, so that's uh, definitely where it hurts. Uh, Paul Simmons, Brewster Del Mar, says, great class. Had a chance to be elite, but we didn't get it done. Complete failure at running back. 74% blue chip percentage. Happy with where we are, but need to take it to the next level. Uh, RJ Gatorgrad929 says, I can't get worked up over the decision of 17, 18-year-olds. Those that wanted to be Gators are Gators, and I'll cheer for them as long as they are here. Wish all the players luck wherever they decide to go. 
Jacob Reeves says, I think it's a good class and definitely filling some needs. However, I already saw Dan is changing some coaches' roles in recruiting, and I hope does something more to allow us to compete better with LSU and Georgia, improve recruiting with how we develop players is fire. Uh, last one here. Hopefully we can make the playoffs. All this will change. I still believe the perception at UF is that we haven't beaten Georgia so that it is hurting us as well. Well, that brings up a, a pretty popular topic from when Mullen was hired, and it was all he's got to do is win games and the recruits will come. Somewhat yeah. true. Somewhat yeah. true. Somewhat uh, true. Uh, that wasn't my line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of the fan base line. You know, it's, and, uh, you know, it was a, a point of contention. There was a lot of debate uh, about that thought. And, and you know what? I, I think it probably still remains to be seen. I think it has helped. I, I don't think it's helped as much as people thought it would uh, there. Uh, so, you know, I, I've always had the adage, recruiters recruit. Kirby Smart's known as a recruiter. He recruits well. Dan Mullen is known as a great coach, develops players. He does that. Does he have to be an elite recruiter? I still think it will, will take some time to see that uh, in, in, in winning the ultimate goal uh, of a national championship. But, uh, you know, that's just that's, that's kind of where it stands right now. Yeah, I mean, we, we've all experienced a good salesman, and the guy could have gotten you to buy anything. And we've all experienced, and and we've all experienced a guy who's who's not a fantastic salesman, but is required to do sales for part of his job. And you're like, all right, like I'll buy your product, but I'm not necessarily going out of my way. I'm not jumping up and down. And that's kind of what I feel like. Maybe is a little bit of of sort of the experience, the difference between Kirby and Mullen. Is you look at Mullen, you go, all right, if you're really on board and if you really believe in Mullen, then you're you're excited to be there. But he's selling his product, and I think uh, I think. Smart is able to sell a vision that's maybe a little bit different than what Mullen does. But I mean, again, I, I think the missing out on Bowman, the missing out on on Williams, those sorts of things, those are going to happen from a year to year basis. Mm -hmm. The issue is, is that it's now three straight years where that kind of thing has happened, and we've gotten that sort of trend. and And I'm I'm really hesitant to say all right, we brought in these transfers, so we need to rank the class higher. Just because you're not getting the same level of output from those guys that you bring in as transfers. I think it's good that they're here. I think it's better than the alternative. I mean, certainly you, you don't want to be you don't want to be filling holes with two star guys on the transfer wire. But and I think they'll be they'll contribute and they'll be valuable gators. At the same time, you don't want to live that way consistently. But that's the way that Mullen has had to live consistently, just because. You know, for some of the big time guys he's had to bring in, he hasn't been able to been able to reel them in yet. And you know, does beating Georgia get you there? Maybe, but I think that has more to do with uncertainty around Kirby. I mean, the reality is, if Florida beats Georgia next year and goes to the SEC East or wins the SEC East, I think the Heat's going to get pretty hot up there in Athens. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like number one, number two, number two, number one. Like those are the classes he's bringing in. If Kirby's not winning up there, things get kind of hot. That's where maybe you could see the thing shift. Not The win over Georgia is important, obviously, because that sets you up to win the East. But Georgia's also got a pretty pretty difficult schedule compared to Florida's next year, and there's a possibility Florida could even lose to Georgia and still win the East. And and if that happens, basically, if, if Smart ends up with part of his fan base really not buying in anymore to his vision. I think that maybe helps Florida more than anything. Cause obviously George has been raiding the state of Florida for the last three or four years. And that's going to have to stop. All right. So that's how we'll recap 
2020 signing day here on Gators Breakdown. Quickly, quickly, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, Dejon Reynolds, we'll look quickly. We'll take a quickly look, uh, a quick look to uh, 2021 here uh, to get you all set up for that. Uh, Dejon Reynolds commits his 2021 four-star wide receiver, play his upcoming senior season with fellow 2021 quarterback commit Carlos Del Rio at, at Grayson High. Up in Georgia, Reynolds comes in at 6'2", 195 pounds, ranked as the 196th-ranked player in the country. Uh, he told 24-7 Sports Blake Alderman that he liked what he saw from Florida's passing attack this past season and, and that they run a three-wide receiver, one tight end set a lot, and that fits into uh, what he'll be doing at Grayson this coming up season. So, Will, he's Florida's eighth commitment of the 2021 class that is now ranked fourth with six four stars and two three stars so a pretty good start to a class that's uh you know a year away from signing day yeah well and you know like you mentioned we need to bring in those guys in the state of florida and you got tyreek sap from fort lauderdale but even going outside of there you got clinton burton coming in from baltimore got mm-hmm. carlos del rio from loganville georgia um you know chief borders from powder springs georgia dejon reynolds like you mentioned from loganville so they've sort of gone up and yeah. kamar wilcoxon from img so a guy from img coming <laughs> yeah. from florida so maybe maybe he'll break the curse and we'll, we'll bring in some more guys from img in the not too distant future but yeah i mean obviously fourth sounds great i mean that's yeah. where you want to end up but you're only eight recruits in again i'd encourage people to to go and look at where you are in in sort of the middle of august maybe and and that's really probably where you're going to end up you know plus or minus a spot or two and so if florida's sitting there at fourth august 1st i will be jumping for joy because that is indicative that they are going to be up there with the lsus and the georgias and the and the alabamas of the world and and but obviously it's a good start to be where they're at their star ranking i think is like 91.5 yeah pretty good for the 2021 class thus far and historically under mullen those those star rankings have started out kind of low and then he started to add more and more talent as the uh, as the season's gone along so if he starts out at 91 and a half and starts adding more and more talent he's going to end up in that 92 or 93 range and that is where georgia and alabama and lsu are living right now all right so that's a quick look about a year away from uh 2021 there so uh we could be keeping our eye on that but as a recap of uh the 2020 signing class national signing day will anything else man Oh, man, I'm just excited to see these guys on the field. I mean, there there are some really good players in this class. There's some guys who are going to who are gonna start. There are guys who are going to start early. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they can do. And, you know, we're only a couple of months away from the spring game, man. So we'll get to see them out there pretty soon, at least a, a fair amount of them. Absolutely. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.